Welcome to the Farm Bits podcast. Farm Bits is proudly produced by the Nebraska Digital Agriculture Team and hosted by students at the University of Nebraska. The Farm Bits podcast comes to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews with experts, producers, and innovators from across the agriculture industry, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello, Farm Bits followers, and welcome to the first episode of the fall 2023 season of the Farm Bits podcast. I'm Katie Bathke. And I'm Emily Hansen, and we're glad to have you with us as we begin our conversation on data management through a producer's perspective with Jenny Smith, a full-time producer of a variety of crops in Maryland. Could you introduce yourself, sharing your background up until where you are now? Okay. Um, so my name's Jenny Schmidt. I am part of a family farm on the eastern shore of Maryland, Schmidt Farms, Inc. Um, I got to marry into the farm, so it's not um, anything that I grew up on. It's my my husband's farm um, and his brother. So we are um, about 2,000 acres. We are mostly corn and soybeans, uh, as well as wheat, soft red wheat. And we also have a couple hundred acres of vegetables that we grow under contract for vegetable companies, either fresh, frozen, or canned. And we have about 20 acres of wine grapes that we grow for the region because, you know, the mid-Atlantic is so small from our farm. I can be in New Jersey in an hour. I can be in Pennsylvania in an hour and a half. I can be in Virginia in a couple of hours. So um, we have a pretty broad customer base. We don't make wine. We just wholesale grow and sell grapes. Um, The farm was actually started by my husband's grandfather when they emigrated here from Germany in the 1940s. So they left Germany, they went and homesteaded in Canada and South America and then the Dakotas and somehow ended up on the eastern shore of Maryland. Not really sure how exactly that happened, but they um, they settled uh, here in the eastern part of, of Maryland and started farming. And it started out as a hog and beef cattle operation. We were a farrow to finish hog operation for about 50 years when my husband and brother-in-law took over the farm in the mid-1990s. Live weight hogs had dropped to 25 cents a pound, and it was costing us more to feed them than we were getting back in profit from selling them. So we got out of the livestock production altogether, and that's when we started putting up uh, center pivot irrigation so that we could get vegetable contracts. There's a pretty diversified agriculture in Maryland. It's very small, but it's very diverse. You know, we don't grow things like citrus or bananas, but we do grow a lot of fruits and vegetables in the region. And a lot of farmers are diversified in that way in that they are corn and soybean growers, but, you know, have, you know, a few acres of either a canning vegetable or um, a fresh market vegetable or some, you know, some form of diversification on their, on their farm. So, um, so that's where we are right now. That's awesome. I love that you bring in the diversification aspect. I think that's really interesting. Could you tell us a little bit about some of the management practices that your farm uses? So our farm is um, very conservation focused in terms of no-till, cover crops, those types of things. Um, My father-in-law, we actually have a farm journal magazine from the 1960s. I think it's 1965 of him uh, planting uh, cover crop into standing corn, as well as doing no-till 
agriculture back in the 1960s, he was always willing to try a new, a new method, try something new, um, volunteer to put acres into some research project or another, either with a seed company or with extension or, you know, some type of organization who was looking to try something, something different. And so we've um, been very focused on conservation, as well as the fact that, you know, in the mid 1990s, Maryland saw a lot of environmental regulations with the Chesapeake Bay water quality issues. And so um, some of our things have been mandated. A lot of our things are still voluntary, but I would say um, probably 80% of the farmland in Maryland is either conservation tillage or no-till. And probably two thirds of our acres have um, cover crops. And those are really both incentivized for farmers to adopt more conservation practices and work on you know, keeping our sediment and our nutrients in our fields and out of our waterways and improving the water quality of the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, that's really cool. I know one of the classes that I'm in right now is focused a lot on uh, keeping nutrients out of waterways. So it's mm -hmm. cool to hear about how other states are doing that too. So what's interesting now is I, I'm the I'm the one who works full time on the farm and my husband works off the farm. Um, about eight years ago, he was appointed by our prior governor to be our assistant secretary of agriculture for resource conservation. So he oversees all of our agricultural regulations related to the environment in the Chesapeake Bay. I think part of his skill set in being a farmer is bringing practicality to policy. Um, as well as just having been brought up on a kind of conservation-minded farm uh, and being involved in soil conservation districts and at the state level and at the national level, it's kind of a nice fit for him and gave me the opportunity to, to work full-time on the farm, which is what I love to do. That's so awesome. I love that. That's really cool to see how all of that played out for you guys. Since this episode is to discuss data from a producer's perspective, can you tell us about what types of data your operation utilizes? Sure. So we've gone through several different iterations of software that do and don't work very well for producers, um, especially of my generation who didn't necessarily even have computers when we were back in high school or the ones that we did had DOS, and that's not really very helpful <laughs> this time. Uh, but we pretty much focus right now on climate field view. Uh, we have upgraded all of our uh, pieces, major pieces of equipment, combine sprayer tractors, um, to have you know the um, Ag Leader monitors in it. So we collect data through Ag Leader, as well as we focus on using it through climate just because it seems to be more accessible for us um, to collect it and utilize it off of the platform that climate uses as opposed to what Ag Leader uses and kind of more intuitive um, interpretation, more visual, I guess, interpretation because of the maps that we get right there on our iPads to be able to see what our yields are, what our planting patterns are, all of those different things, be able to put prescriptions for um, seeding rates in based on, you know, soil types or uh, historic yield in, the, in those different fields to be able to kind of take that data and apply it 
in the field in some type of more precise manner, either you know applying fertilizer on a variable rate or um, using a prescription for seeding rates and, and those types of things. And we think it's, it's really helped us kind of focus in on understanding our data better and being able to use it in the future to plan you know, what fields do best, where, what our issues are, particularly I think our issues. Uh, when we look at what we planted and have those overlays between planting and applications and yield maps, to be able to see in our fields what issues maybe certain areas of a field have that we need to address, whether fertility or pH or whatever. Um, and so that's been, um, I think, a, a big help for us over the, I think it's probably been four years now that we've been, been using climate for, for that type of information. Yeah, that's really cool. I know my family farm uses climate for a lot of our data management too. Yeah, it's it it's easy for us. I mean, we've we've tried other software programs. We've tried some things that are sort of integrated with financials. What we have found over the years is things that we've started using um, either get bought up and phased out, or you have to keep paying a higher and higher and higher subscription rate for information you're not necessarily using to the full extent that you could. And a lot of software that's just not intuitive for people who aren't tech savvy. So. That's, you know, for us, what, what we have found is that really fits our niche needs for the most part. Like, that's such a good point to make. Of One, I really enjoyed how you talked about how you layer the data to find your issues and kind of see it all at, at a surface value. When sometimes those issues occur during planting season, it, when you're so busy, you're maybe you don't remember them and you don't see the further problems they cause or something like that. So I like that you bring up the data layers, but then I also like that you bring up the accessibility part of what we find, what works for us and kind of some of the issues that producers see with data. We see things phase out. We see things that are not intuitive or didn't have a range of ages for producers. And I think that's so valuable. And then you kind of mentioned already um, how long your farm has been utilizing data management tools. You said about four years. Do you remember doing anything prior to that? Kind of some things you might have tried before? Yeah, I mean, we've used um, through one of our fertilizer companies, they have given us um, what's called high Q data, which is um, composite data. That's not the right word, but that's the only word that's coming to my mind. It's, it's regional data that's compiled, aggregate data, I guess you could say, throughout say, the Delmarva region, our peninsula, that Delaware, Maryland, Eastern Shore, Virginia. Um, make up to sort of show how you compare to other regional growers in terms of yield for, you know, wheat, corn, or soybeans. We've used um, something called FarmWorks, which we were putting in our yield data as well as our financial data to come up with budgets. Um, but that was something we found that it, it either got bought up or it, it got phased out in terms of being able to use upgrades. And so we haven't been able to to continue with that, which is kind of when we went with um, climate and we strictly pretty much use QuickBooks for all of our financial data management. Uh, the problem is it'd be nice to have something that interfaces the two so that you could pull the financials in with the, like the yield data and the expenses for that particular field and be able to break it all down. If there's a way to do it in QuickBooks, I don't have 
you know, enough. I'm a nutritionist by training. I, my first job, my first career before I farmed full time was as a registered dietitian. So, you know, the fact that I do all the finances for the farm doesn't speak to the fact that I have any background in finance. It just became my became my my job when my mother-in-law stepped down from from the position. So, you know, things that again, you know, that's it's like the data management tools, the financial tools as well. If they're not intuitive, and you don't have that kind of background, if you didn't do a degree in finance or accounting or whatever business even, then, you know, some of those management tools are just, you know, kind of fly by the seat of your pants learning until you get the hang of it. And then I only know to the extent that I've messed with it. I'm sure there's a ton of features either in climate or QuickBooks that I don't, you know, take the time to to figure out or don't have the time to to figure out, but it would be nice to have, you know, something that's integrating that financial piece with the um, with the yield data. Absolutely. That's an excellent point. I think a lot of producers could say the same as well. I know that mm -hmm. would be extremely helpful even for my own family's operation because we're in the same boat with using climate and then also QuickBooks for the financials. Right. And you could take the extra time and, you know, put a spreadsheet together in Excel or use some database program, but that's just one more thing. Like you might've mentioned it a little bit already, but um, how do you collect like your different types of data for, as far as like yield, planting, soil data, that kind of thing? Yeah. So a couple of years ago we did um, the majority of our fields, we have done grid sampling um, at least once through the whole field in, within the last three or four years. Uh, by law, we're required to sample every three years because we're required to have nutrient management plans in the state of Maryland, um, not grid samples. You could just do large field samples, but uh, we are required to have soil samples at a minimum every three years. But one of the reasons why we were looking to do grid samples was to, again, collect the data to explain to us what the variability was on certain farms of, you know, why, you know, in one area, was it a nematode issue? Was it a pH issue? Why is the yield down here? Why do those plants look funky? You know, why are they stunted or yellow or whatever when, you know, if there's no, you know, obvious explanation like um, a lot of rain where they were standing in a low bottom and they drowned out or, you know, a dry, dry knoll where they were, you know, it's a sandy soil and it, we didn't get enough rain. No, there's no physical explanation that's obvious to you when you're looking at a field. And so, um, you know, doing the grid sampling helped us sort of have a better overview about what's going on in our fields. It's not something that we would do every year, but um, because you're, when you're making adjustments in, like we can, we did variable rate lines based on the pH of some of our fields. So that, you know, we put on extra lime where, you know, the pH was five and a half or something, you know, too low and put on less if it was, you know, up near seven. So we were able to, you know, use that information again to improve the fertility and improve the soil overall for not just that particular crop, but for, you know, the future seasons to come. So you're looking at it from a, an immediate perspective, but also from a long-term perspective of what can you do to make these fields better than what they are right now. And without um, more precise 
pinpoint information like grid sampling gives you, you're really just kind of taking a shot in the dark over what you're, you know, if you're putting out fertilizer, manure, lime, those types of things. Absolutely. That's an excellent point where we see how soil sampling comes together and yeah, it might be it might be mandated where you have to do it, but kind of how you can make the most benefit of using what kind of data needs to be collected. And I think that's I think you bring up a really like a really strong point there. We do see some trends in Nebraska where some producers are going um, kind of with data. We see them using more consultants and kind of um, outsourcing people to work in data management for them. And we're kind of wondering if your farm does anything similar to that. So the past 20 some years, we've relied on our um, fertilizer company to provide us with a nutrient management plan. Uh, but this past year with our grid sampling and um, just some of the things that we were seeing on our farm in terms of fertility, um, wanted to get more precise recommendations. So from our fertilizer company, we would get, um, you know, you can you have X number of pounds of nitrogen to put on this field if it's rotated into corn this year and this field if it's rotated into soybeans, you know, it's just kind of a, um, a sum for that season. Whereas with the um, consultant that we're using who wrote our nutrient management plan for this season gave us specific intervals, you know, what to put down at planting, what to put down at side dress, what to put down in um, fertigation over say our vegetables and um, or even our corn so that, you know, we have sort of a spoon feeding effect, if you will, of our nutrients getting utilized more efficiently because you're not putting it on all up front. We're not putting it on in the fall. We're putting it on at the start of the planting season. Um, and he gave us some micronutrient recommendations, which are really helpful because, you know, a lot of times if you're looking at um, yield, you're not just looking at NP and K, you're looking at all of the micros as well. And so, you know, with our really sandy soils here on the eastern shore of Maryland, we're typically deficient in boron. Boron is really important in fruit production, seed production for all of the different plants, all of the different crops that we grow. So being able to also utilize those recommendations and put them on at the right time was very helpful for him to have given us more of a prescription. Again, it just goes back to being more prescriptive as opposed to just working with, you've got 250 pounds of N to put on this cornfield. We've got it broken down over, it's still maybe 250 pounds, but he's given us recommendations on when to apply it and what else to put in with it, you know, sulfur, magnesium, molybdenum, all the micros that plants need. Absolutely. As you said, that was your first year of kind of doing that really heavy prescribing. Which we had tried to do it somewhat on our own the past couple of years, um, but we really wanted it. I mean, like I said, my background's in nutrition, which is actually very helpful yeah. uh, because it's the same biology. It's just a different system. Uh, but nobody in our family studied agronomy. We don't, you know, my, my brother-in-law has an ag mechanics degree. Uh, my husband studied ag, uh, ag business. So my nephew's studying ag economics. So, you know, the agronomy piece is just sort of whatever you took in the, 
you know, the beginning of your degree program, some general ag classes, but not really specific to agronomy and having somebody who's an agronomist give you those recommendations from a professional perspective, as opposed to us just reading material, going to conferences, kind of having a basic understanding, but somebody else who's a professional writing that plan out for us. Uh, because they understand, you know, the crop life cycle of all of the different crops we're growing. And, you know, we're just kind of, we're not really winging it, but we're sort of winging it. <laughs> That's an absolutely excellent point of making the most use of your consultants and really getting them out there and adapting what you feel your farm needs for the people who who are supposed to know, like, I absolutely know that agronomy. You kind of mentioned that you use like an iPad with your climate system. Do you use any other like devices to collect your data? Uh, pretty much just the iPads. And then, um, you know, when we are in the wintertime, you know, trying to compile that different information, you know, we'll, we'll bring up the, the field view on our laptops and print out the different reports that, I mean, it's actually been very helpful to have those reports from climate because that's what I've used for um, crop insurance reporting, you know, where they have a you know, production report at the end of the season. So when we finished wheat back in July, to be able to just go on climate and print out the, um, the wheat production report and have that information. Whereas with our, our ag leader monitors, they're great as far as the monitors go, but we don't have the software that interfaces with, we can download it onto a flash drive, but we don't have the software to read that data. So we either have to give it to our fertilizer company or somebody who has that software. So climate has made it, um, again, just much easier to uh, use our data, access our data and, you know, have the reports that we need as well as, um, you know, the yield data and whatnot that we, we get from it. I mean, we use our cell phones and that kind of stuff, but as far as devices go, you know, I mean, we use actually a, an app called Evernote, which is where we just basically take notes, but we have a corn note, a soybean note, a wheat note. And then, so anybody who does anything in a field records that in that Evernote, um, just so we have a easy way to just touch on the app, open up that report, and we know what's been done in that field where it's not quite as simple in climate. You can access that information. It's not necessarily there the same day that you did it, unless you synced your iPad, which doesn't always happen. And <laughs> um, it's just the data is not always there as quickly. Uh, so using some of the apps has been helpful just in terms of our communication between pieces of equipment that we know who did what, when, and where. Yeah, that's really nice. Then you have a log of everything that happened. And if there's an issue with something, you kind of know who was there. What role do you feel data plays in a day-to-day -day task, as well as kind of a year scope of things when you're really planning your next year? So day-to-day, -day, um, I think it, it, it it guides, it doesn't really guide us. It just, it gives us the ability to capture the data while we're doing the job without having to think about capturing the data. I mean, yes, when you pull into a field, you've got to set up your iPad. You've got to make sure you've got the right field in there and the right crop in there and the right season in there. Um, 
So it's not something you can just ignore, but it's not something that you have to, um, you know, really manage once you've got it set up for whatever job you're doing that particular time. So it makes it um, a little bit easier in terms of not having to think about it all the time, as long as you've, you know, done the prep work to get it ready um, up, up front. But I think the biggest advantage is the long-term seasonal data that we get to look at at the end of each season to plan and um, analyze what happened the previous season to know what field rotations, what crop rotations are going into those fields and what the outcomes were of this year to know what adjustments we could potentially make next year. And what's nice with climate is it also has all that weather information. So it, it's just a, a, a good housing place for everything that we wouldn't necessarily even record. Like, you know, we try to keep track of how much rain falls, but sometimes, you know, it's, it's just, it's nice that it's there. Somebody else did the work for us. It's one less thing that we have to worry about. And we can then use that as one of our, our layer datas to know um, you know, if, if this field performed, underperformed, and why was it, was it, you know, we can look at our spray records, we can look at our yield records, we can look at our fertilizer records, we can look at the rain records. So, you know, you have more information to work with to try and figure out what happened and why. Yeah, I know that rainfall report is really nice because then I know for my own family's operation, we don't have to drive out to every field and look at a mm -hmm. rain we can just pull it up online. Right. So as an agricultural producer, what advancements would you like to see in terms of use for all things data related? You know, for us, it's, it's really just making things as intuitive as possible. Um, and, you know, capturing all of the different components that are important. Um, I don't know if climate has this or not. Um, I know in my grapes, and we don't put grapes in climate because it's all manual labor, but <laughs> uh, there's no big machines driving through the vineyard recording anything in the in the vineyard. But, um, you know, we do track growing degree days uh, in terms of when certain pests are likely to present themselves. There's one called grape berry moth, which burrows its way into berries of the cluster. And then um, at harvest, it creates a lot of uh, rot issues. And they come out at certain intervals of, of heat. So, you know, something that um, shows you your growing degree days is really helpful. Uh, we try to put down our herbicide ahead of a certain number of heat uh, days just because of the impact that even if it's, um, you know, an herbicide that is tolerated by that crop, if you put it on after a certain number of growing degree days, it's more likely to have a negative impact on production. In some instances, like with soybeans, it might actually increase it because if you ding them back a little bit, they branch out more and then produce more. But you know those types of things where, <laughs> makes me sound lazy, but where you don't have to do the work to get the information. <laughs> It's an excellent point because as a producer and especially on one with such a diverse operation or just even such large operations that you need something that that's just going to be easy to use. It's intuitive. You 
you get a habit of using it as well as it's not going to take the extra step because sometimes that extra step is what allows us to not adopt it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, if you have a system that does like the little things for you, then you might be more likely to use it to yeah. its full potential. Exactly. Exactly. But is there any particular data layer that you would wish your operation could use in addition to the data that you use? Like, are you interested in possibly getting into some of like the really big push for imagery or some things like that? No, I don't think so. And I'm I'm saying that only because sometimes you can also get information overload. And like we were just talking in terms of being intuitive, it can also be where there's too much information. And if you don't have the tools to interpret it, then it it's just kind of noise in the background that can confuse you or, you know, not really be helpful. Um, so I think I I can't think of anything that we would be lacking right now it's a good point i think it's something especially especially when we have the conversation of using imagery on farms of really what's the use out of it and what all goes into doing that into analyzing it into processing it and yes. so i think it's an excellent point as a producer that maybe wouldn't want to feel like you'd be interested in that i think we see that really commonly here in nebraska too mm -hmm. So in the realm of agricultural data, we often hear words such as big data, artificial intelligence, and data sharing. Recently, there's been a concern with ag producers being overwhelmed by all the data, what to do with it, and privacy. Um, do you guys have any, I guess, tips or insights on how you deal with those situations? I'm not really sure what the concern is of sharing your data within, like, the groups of people that would benefit you, like your agronomist, being able to log into your information, say in climate, and have it pinpointed to you as opposed to having it aggregated data. You know, we've we've had the privacy issue here in Maryland as far as new of uh, environmental groups wanting to access our nutrient management plans and on a farm by farm basis. And what the Department of Agriculture does is aggregate our data. So we have to file um, what's called an annual implementation report, which is a report in due in March, which is all of the fertilizer that we have used the previous year. And those, those files are kept separate and confidential, um, but, so they can't be pulled out anything but aggregate data so no individual data uh, can go out. So in that respect, I think um, it's important to be able to keep those that type of data private because of the types of usage that it's subjected to. But when you're working with a private organization like you know climate that's not going to um, you know, take that data on an individual level and share it. Those are, you know, our bigger concerns in terms of data privacy is what are the groups who are trying to access it? What's their ulterior motive? Not so much the suspect of the, of the businesses themselves who are collecting the data. I think that's an excellent point. 
also to bring up as a producer because I'm not from a or an operation as such as that, but do we have producers who are overwhelmed by the data? What does big data mean in agriculture? I think that's a big topic for people right now of like, we're collecting all of this data and now we've got to find absolutely the intuitive, accessible and still usable and kind of like in the way that is like prioritizing people's privacy. That is, it's your operation, it's your decisions and so are there any digital agricultural trends or emerging technologies that you're excited about or currently exploring on your farm? If so, how do you feel these newer technologies aid in the development of your family's operation? I serve on the U.S. Grains Council uh, for Maryland, and I had a group of uh, Japanese biotech regulators come for a farm tour this past weekend. And I we brought our sprayer out to show them um, the technology that's in the sprayer, because what I think is the best technology are things like auto shut off nozzles <laughs> and self-leveling booms. Uh, <laughs> so, simple things like that are make me happy because those are the types of things where, you know, to me, if you've got auto shut off nozzles, it completely Im eliminates human error. So it really reduces the over application and the overlap within a field once you've done the headlands and then you start spraying the rows, whether it's fertilizer or pesticides, you would be more likely to say, I'm not sure where I left off. I'm going to keep my nozzles on a little bit longer just to be sure. And then end up with highly concentrated, uh, you know, basically double dose in certain areas because your nozzles you left them on longer than you should have. So um, to me, those are types of things that one, have an environmental benefit, two, have a cost savings benefit because you're not over applying and you're saving on the amount of product that you're using and putting out on your field. And so I think that, again, kind of like the data that we were talking about earlier, the technology that allows you to not think about it are the technologies that are the most needed because it help it helps you reduce what you're putting out in terms of you know fertilizer or pesticide but it it also just takes away that human error um, in terms of you know managing that machine and what it's doing and how much you're applying and so i think those are the types of things again that just make i'm sure it's true in, in in a lot of different industries but in in the agricultural industry i think those types of technologies are probably quickly adopted if they're not super expensive and you know that manage sort of that timing effect for you while you're performing a task in a field so how do you envision the future of agriculture and then also digital agriculture I think that, you know, that those types of technologies where, again, it's taking that human error out, you're still the operator, you're still managing the machine, whatever machine it is, but some of the tasks are automated and it just, it, it takes away the risk of making an error or, um, you know, doing something that tr you're trying to multitask too often. The downfall of the technology is if they add one more monitor, 
the something you're supposed to look at because then you're looking at the iPad, you're looking at the monitor, you're looking at this, you're looking at that. And there's all these screens in your cab um, and that can be distracting as well. So <laughs> it would be nice to have it more, you know, more streamlined in, in that re in that sense for digital agriculture I, and as well as for, you know, sort of traditional agriculture being more technology driven ultimately. The concern with um, with the privacy, going back to that um, a little bit, just in terms of the amount of data that is out there and having confidence in the vendors that you're dealing with to protect that data, I think is important. And that's why, you know, pretty much the relationships that we have with our different vendors have been a long time. Um, because they've given us good customer service and we trust them uh, with you know whatever it is that we've we've hired them to do or what we buy from them in terms of product and so i, I think that's also just part of the the data management tool is knowing who your vendors are and having having a relationship with them so that that trust level is there that's such a good such a good point and I think so many producers would relate to that of who do you trust with what you're doing and and then is there any anywhere our listeners could go if they want to learn more about you or your family's farm I have a foodie farmer Facebook page and also on Instagram as the dirt dietitian um, and I just basically try to post what's going on on the farm if not you know depends on daily if there's something going on and not so much daily if there's you know nothing going on we finished green bean harvest um, a couple weeks ago and I had posted a video of what you know because a lot of people haven't seen what green bean harvesters look like or you know what 200 acres of green beans looks like and so those types of things that are um, kind of unique to to our operation to just kind of highlight what what's going on on the farm and then our last question. Um, so we have a tradition here on the Farm Bits podcast to ask each of our guests for a piece of advice. So what advice would you have for other agricultural producers who are looking to use, maintain, and grow their knowledge of data in their own operations? So my advice is to take a class at a community college <laughs> because honestly, um, it's especially for someone in you know their 50s or 60s and you know my generation none of that stuff comes easy and so like for QuickBooks I mean I took a couple of, of non-credit classes at our community college so that I would un I would understand you know it as a as a software and know at least the basic operations of of how it worked but you know to me it's like lifelong learning um, the same as me going from being a dietitian to being a farmer. It's taking the knowledge that you have and figuring out how to apply it to the the situation that that you have. And you know, just because you've been farming for 30 years doesn't mean you shouldn't keep learning uh, because there's new technology, there's new information um, all of the time. And so that's to me that's the the, the way you become better at any career and farming is, yes, it's a lifestyle, but it's also a career um, is to, you know, keep learning uh, about 
what it is you're doing as a business. Thank you very much to Jenny Smith for taking the time to join this episode of the Farm Bits podcast. It's really exciting to hear about how a producer uses the varying aspects of data throughout their operation. One of my favorite parts of this episode is the knowledge and reality that Jenny brings to what data means to a producer. I agree. And I also really like to hear the similarities between Jenny's operation in Maryland and my own family's operation here in Nebraska. I hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to sharing another digital ag story with you next week on Farm Bits. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review sections of your favorite podcast platforms. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high-quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits.